wasn't too much of a battle getting out of bed. I was speaking with one person here. He said, we haven't had Burning Man for so long that it was such a battle getting up this early, but um, many of you will be up at this time standard. Um, welcome to the first Burning Man of the summer term. And uh, it's our privilege to have Jonathan Fletcher, who's a very good friend to us here at Burning Man, come to speak from Hebrews 6. That's right, Jonathan, isn't it? And um, this term, our series is Promises and Warnings Which Keep Us. Promises and Warnings Which Keep Us. Jonathan's going to kick us off. And um, Jonathan is well known to most of us here, I'm sure. Um, But just by way of a small introduction, I thought I would ask you, Jonathan, if you would come up, just what your passion is for churches in the London area. You've been a minister in London for many, many years and we, I thought I'd try and glean some of your wisdom on that before you kick off. Can I ask you, what's your passion for the London churches? Well, the first qualification is to say that um, 50% of Christians under 30 are in London. So really my passion is that we export people to other parts of the world, uh, other parts of the country. And I was talking to someone about what's happening in the Cotswolds. It's very exciting that it's the northeast and the southwest that need people. So I've got a passion for sending people away from London. Having said that, I think, uh, certainly within the Church of England, our policy ought to be, first of all, to hold on to the churches we've got and then uh, to capture other churches before we do any church planting. And HTB have been absolutely brilliant. I think what Sandy Miller did was to go to the Bishop of London and said, please don't close any churches without letting me know. So as churches became sort of small and uh, semi-redundant, HDB brilliantly, I think, moved in. Uh, So my passion is that we hold on to the churches, what we've got, and we capture some others. And if you can squeeze in a prayer for me, I'm now going to a very, very fragile uh, church in a place called Summerstown. Uh, We were about 30. Uh, There were just two of us at the men's Bible study yesterday. But it's got an evangelical tradition, and we must keep it. Uh, and therefore, uh, the, the, the dream is that when the vicar goes, which he wants to go, they appoint somebody, and you can't have just putting one good man. He needs to go with, with others. So we'd hope that if they appointed the right person, then people from St. Nicholas Tuting and Emmanuel Wilmer would go with him. Um, and they have to preach the gospel and to evangelize the area, because it's a very compact area at Summerstown. But we're not reaching it at the moment. So hold on to churches, capture some more. Thank you, Jonathan. Can I pray for you as, as, as we begin? Please. Let's, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would work to that end, even this morning amongst us. Would you build us up as Hebrews 6 is open to us? Please fill Jonathan afresh with your spirit to that end. And we pray for the revitalization of churches such as Summerstown in London. Uh, we pray for the evangelization of the world. And we pray that this morning you would equip us for that great task, for Jesus' namesake. Amen. Amen. Would you like that? No, yes. Can I have a chair? Um, I was invited by John to do this over the phone. I find it difficult to say no, but have um, regretted it ever since. Um, Did I tell you the story last time I was here of the, the man who went to the doctor, and he said, Doctor, I'm not worried about myself, but I'm worried about my wife, because... Uh, I think she's losing her hearing, becoming deaf, and I don't know how to get it across to her. And the doctor said, that's quite easy. Um, This evening, stand ten yards away and ask her a question, and then when she doesn't answer, step nearer. So that evening, he did just that. What's for supper? Silence. What's for supper? Silence. 
What's for supper? Silence. What's for supper? Silence. What's for supper? Fish pie, and this is the fifth time I've told you. <laughs> and I feel a bit, a bit like that. You've got it? You've got it. You're a bit slow. Uh, could you turn then to uh, one of the hardest passages in the New Testament? It's Hebrews chapter 5, the last bit of chapter 5 and chapter 6. Here is page 1204. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. Uh, verse 10, designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. There's a blank look. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and a faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burnt. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hopes sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Now the theme of Hebrews is to run the race to the end. And you'll remember those uh, verses at the beginning of uh, chapter 12. And at the beginning of verse, uh, chapter 11, we're told what Christian faith is all about. It's about the future and the invisible. Hebrews 11 verse 1 is very important. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So it concerns the future and the invisible. And Hebrews wants them to finish at the race and therefore it's full of exhortations. Some wag has called it the salad epistle because it's so full of lettuces. Let us do this, let us run and so on and so forth. But it's also full of warnings which is what our, our theme is. Uh, and earlier on, there was the danger of drifting in chapter 2. Uh, you can imagine sort of being on a, a lilo, on a holiday, and you fall asleep, and you just drift, drift. You don't do anything about it, you just drift. And uh, Hebrew says, look, there's a danger for some of you to, to drift. 
And then there was others who were wanting to return to Judaism. They weren't content with the future and the invisible. They wanted things here and now, what they could feel and see and touch and handle. And in our place, uh, chapter 5, verse 11, there is their danger of being sluggish, which is the um, word that should be at the end of verse 11, and you've got it again in chapter 6, verse 12. That is, they remained immature. Now, to my shame, I can still remember, I think as a six-year-old, going to a circus, and I think we paid to go into a, a tent, and there was somebody that height who was a, a dwarf, 65-year-old. And it's tragic when somebody doesn't grow physically. And you may know folk who um, are 20 or 30 or 40, they've got the mental age of a five-year-old. And tragically, it seems to be in the case in New Testament times that a number of people were immature pygmies, dwarves, spiritually. And uh, Paul has to say that to the Corinthians. Uh, he says it to the Ephesians, that they're past the teachers, so that not like infants, they're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Uh, in Colossians, he says, my aim is to make the word of God fully known and the people of God fully mature. And he almost ends uh, 1 Corinthians by, by, by saying to them, this is 1 Corinthians uh, 14, verse uh, 20, I want you to be adult in your understanding. 1 Corinthians 14, 20, let me give you the full verse, which says, Brothers, stop thinking like children in, re in regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking be adults. So there's this great concern that people should go on to maturity. And there are two secrets for that. The first secret is to realize that you're not mature. Uh, that is what Paul very definitely says about himself. So anybody here is saying, look, I, I'm actually mature, I've been around some time. Warning sign, warning sign. Um, no, we're not mature. And the other secret uh, is to howl for food. So Peter, in his uh, letter, says like newborn babies, uh, howl, it's a very strong word, howl for the pure milk of the word. Uh, I'm a bachelor, so I'm not very good with babies. I think they're gorgeous when they're asleep. Uh, they're gorgeous usually when they've just been fed, but in the meanwhile, as far as I can make out, they're just howling for food. And that is right. And Paul says, uh, I want, no, Peter says, I want you to howl for food, uh, to be really hungry for food. And I have in my, my notes uh, the, the initials AMS. Uh, Alan Stibbs, when I was first ordained at uh, Curie and Cockfosters, um, we had in the parish Oak Hill Theological College, and therefore, in the congregation, we had uh, the principal, who was going to become Bishop of Norwich, the vice-principal, who was going to become uh, Bishop of St. Albans, and this wonderful, wonderful, and very wonderful um, New Testament scholar, Alan Stibbs. He was about 65. And I would get up into the pulpit as a, a raw new curate, and uh, Alan Stibbs would open his Bible and open his notebook, because he wanted to go on learning. Very often he closed it quite quickly after I began preaching, but he, began, but he began. And there was some, you see, when you learnt to drive, um, eye on the mirror, and anybody behind stayed well behind, and when they overtook, they virtually went into the ditch the other side, and then they shot ahead to get well away from you. And therefore, you got off, took the L plates off as quickly as possible. But we mustn't do that in the Christian life. Uh, we've got to go on being willing to learn. And that's, you know, why you're here, which is uh, so terrific. But it seems that some of the folk that uh, our author was uh, writing to didn't like sermons, uh, didn't want to go to a Bible study, 
who weren't reading serious Christian books. Uh, I was at a supper party on uh, Monday, and one of the guests there goes to a very flourishing uh, church south of the river and said, uh, we don't get real meat. We don't get real meat. And she was wanting that. Now, in this uh, setting, uh, I wanted to go on. I wanted to go on to uh, maturity. Uh, we have our passage. And the question that is debated, which is why it's one of the hardest passages in the New Testament, is simply this. Can a Christian fall away? Is it once saved, always saved? Or can there be apostasy? Which seems to be uh, what it talks about in verses 4 onwards. We're not talking about backsliding. Uh, we all backslide at some time or other. A very, very close friend of mine was uh, gloriously uh, converted at uh, university. Uh, and then in his year after university, something went wrong. And I prayed for him every day. I took him to things like Billy Graham and so on. And there was just a sort of blank. And then I got a letter from him. Uh, Dear Jonathan, I've come back. On Easter Day, I knelt down for the first time for five years. Everything is knelt back to glorious uh, technicolor. And I remember dancing around my room as I read the letter. Uh, here was a backslider who had been restored. It's, it's, it's very exciting hearing of people who are converted. It's also wonderful when one hears of backsliders. If he had died in those five years, I wouldn't have been sure. But now I know that if he had died in those five years, actually he was a believer and had been backsliding. And I've got the initials of another friend of mine, similarly, uh, a backslider. Uh, things went wrong, and of course he was doing, I think, in America. Again, I used to write to him. He used to dread my letters. And then visiting him uh, in another part of the world, uh, we prayed together and he came back. It's very exciting. But this is not talking about backsliding. It is talking about apostasy. Now, you probably know the mnemonic that describes, um, sums up uh, Protestant uh, theology. Do you remember that the Queen promised in her coronation oath to uphold the Protestant and Reformed religion established by law? And the, 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 the mnemonic that is used is TULIP, which speaks for T, total depravity. And that means every area of my life is affected. My mind, my conscience is warped, uh, my will, uh, my emotions. I'm a rather cold fish, and people often say to me, Jonathan, I wish you expressed your emotions more, more often. And I grit my teeth and I say, if I did that, I would have murdered you five minutes ago. So em emotions are uh, unreliable. Total depravity. It doesn't mean I'm as bad as I possibly could be, but it means that every area of my life is affected. Uh, the you... Uh, unconditional election. That is, I am chosen by God not depending on anything in me. He didn't say, oh, I think he's got potential or something like that. Unconditional uh, election. And then L, limited atonement. And I want to nuance that by saying that the death of Christ was sufficient for all, but efficient for the elect. So I still want to be able to say, to a, an evangelistic thing, whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus died for you. His death was sufficient for all, but becomes effective uh, as the people respond because they are elected. The I is irresistible grace, because when God calls, it's uh, irresistible. And the P is perseverance of the saints. And they're saying very strongly that once saved, always saved. 
Now, it's into that situation that uh, we have our passage. Uh, Again, look at verse 4. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, if they apostatize, to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. So does it mean once saved, always saved? And this is contradicting that? Or what is it saying? Now, last time I was here, because I, 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 I assumed that I was in Wimbledon, people understood long words. Apparently I used some long words last, last time that people didn't understand. If I do that, stick a paw up and I'll uh, translate it. Um, basically, there are three lines of uh, interpretation for this passage. Uh, one line is what we can call the Arminian line after a Dutch theologian called Arminius who was standing against some forms of high Calvinism. And they say, yes, you can lose your salvation. It is possible to apostatize. And that seems to be the natural meaning of the passage. Uh, it's the danger of taking it out of the context of the, book, of the Bible as a whole, but it does seem to say that there are some people who have experienced all these things, uh, verse uh, 1 or 2, um, instruction about baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, uh, and then they jettison it all. And I have to say that I can think possibly one, possibly two people who I really did think were believers who have apparently apostatized. I'm thinking of one person. He was president of the, uh, the KICQ, Cambridge. Uh, he uh, uh, wrote a book published by the InterVarsity Press, uh, was ordained, and yet he died as a Marxist uh, Uh, lecturer at uh, Leeds University. His obituary was in the Times. Apparently having jettisoned it all. So that's one possibility, that you can lose your salvation. The difficulty with that is that the promises in the Bible are really very strong, uh, not least from the the, the Lord Jesus. So if you're taking notes, you might just dot down uh, uh, John 6, uh, 37, uh, where Jesus uh, says, John 6, uh, 37, uh, All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never, never drive away. Uh, he says the, the same thing in John chapter 10, verses uh, 27, 28. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Uh, you've got it in Romans. Romans 11, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Um, some parents might say, um, when a child misbehaves, well, that thing I gave you for your birthday, I'm taking it away. Uh, what you get, got, got at Christmas, I'm having it back. God doesn't, doesn't do that. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. And Paul is able to write to the uh, Philippians and says that he's absolutely confident that he who began a good work in them will carry it through to completion on the day of, of, of Christ. So the people who think this means that you can apostatize have got to take into to, to, um, consideration these very, very strong promises once saved, always saved. 
So to get around that, others have tried to say uh, that the sin that is talked about here is not apostasy as such, uh, and what happens is that the penalty of uh, losing the blessings. You don't lose your salvation, but you, you lose the joy and the, the fruitfulness. And they tend to say that um, uh, it, it's a bit like the parable of the sower. And, of course, there are resonance of that later in the passage. Uh, land, this is verse 8, land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and it's in danger of being cursed. And they would say, look, the seed was sown, there was some sort of uh, response, but it never became uh, fruitful. And therefore, uh, they're missing out on the joys of it all. And that is one uh, possibility. Uh, this is how uh, uh, Tom, Thomas Schreiner uh, Others maintain, I'll call it the fruitful view, that the warnings are addressed to true believers, but the sin in view is not apostasy. Believers are exhorted to follow the Lord in true discipleship. If they fail to heed the warnings, they will not lose their salvation, for no one truly called by the Lord can apostatize. What they will miss out on, though, is a joyful Christian life where they bear fruit as Christians. So that's the way some people try to get round it. A a, a bit shaky, I think. Uh, The other possibility is that the people described in verses 1 to 3 are almost Christians because there's nothing specifically here about Jesus as the Christ, his uh, deity, his atoning sacrifice, his personal resurrection or his second coming. So they say what what is read in verses uh, 1 and 2 could be said of any Jew uh, laying the foundation of repentance. Well, the Jews believed in that. Uh, Faith in God, they believed in that. Instruction about baptisms, Uh, The Jews were into baptisms. They laid hands. Uh, They definitely, except for the Sadducees, believed in the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So they were saying that these verses describe someone who's uh, uh, Jewish, believing that all those things, but not fully uh, converted. Uh, It's difficult, I think, to maintain that. um, Because although he might say that no true Christian could be content with those things, um, it, it does seem, as you go on, if they've tasted of the heavenly gifts and so on, uh, that there's more than just being Jewish, uh, that they are indeed Christians. So what are we to make of all this? As I said, it is one of the hardest passages in the New Testament, and you look at the different commentaries, and very respectable uh, commentators take different views. Uh, verse, uh, the first two agree that uh, it is addressed to uh, Christians. Um, uh, The the second two, uh, number two, that is the um, almost Christians and losing the joy of it all, uh, believe that Christians will never apostatize. And then uh, the the first thing and the last one believe that it is going to be damnation. So what are we to make of it all? Now, I'll tell you what my problem is. My problem is that when I'm preaching... I will have two different sorts of people in the congregation. And there will be those who lack assurance. So at Emmanuel, when I was there, we had a really, really wonderful, godly, keen Christian. Uh, I won't mention his name, but he, he was terrific. But he, he, was, he, he, he was very sensitive about his sinfulness, although he's one of the most holy, godly people I, I knew. So to him, I had to go on saying, there is no condemnation 
to those who are in Christ Jesus. You are absolutely safe. And that was the right thing to say. But then there are others who are sluggish. And because I haven't got x-ray eyes, I never know in the congregation who are those sort of people. Uh, they were the people who were in danger of drifting. They were people, in, in the words of um, uh, our passage, of uh, being uh, sluggish and uh, presumptuous. And to them I want to say, you must go on to maturity. Uh, you, you must stick at it. Because this is the, the, the great uh, theme of Hebrews. I want, want you to mature. I want you to finish the race and see it to the end. So what do we make of all this? Where does this leave us? Is it possible to uh, apostatize and lose one's salvation? Or is it not talking about uh, people who are really Christians? Uh, my great friend, Mark Ashton, uh, if he was asked, uh, Mark, um, can I fall away? He used to say, well, I suppose you can, but even then I don't think he will let you. And in many ways that is a, 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 a good answer. Now, I think the way I've settled on is what we're described, having described here is not retrospective, looking back, but is prospective, looking ahead. And I'm going to give you a biblical illustration, but a non-biblical illustration. Uh, I think the situation is similar to someone who's on an aircraft, uh, on a flight, and the air hostess comes on and says, um, may I tell you that uh, you're absolutely safe, uh, this is... Our company has had a 100% safety record. There's nothing to worry about. And then the pilot comes in and says, if you jump out of the window, you will be killed. Uh, both are true. And the way people are kept safe is both by promises and by warnings. Now, if you don't mind a bit of um, Bible study, will you turn back to Acts? And we find a very interesting uh, thing when people believe. So Acts, first of all, chapter 11, verse uh, 23. Uh, people being converted. Acts 11, 23. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. That is, he didn't say to them, okay, you believe, now you're safe, relax. He encouraged them to remain true to the Lord in, uh, with all their hearts. Uh, turn on to chapter 13 and verse uh, 45. 13:45. I've got the uh, uh, wrong verse here. There's a verse which says um, uh, that they've got to stick at it. Uh, my other Bible will have the other verse, I'm sorry. Um, and then 14.22, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. So on three occasions, as people, as the news comes that they've uh, been converted, uh, what they're encouraged to do is to make sure you stay there. Make sure you stay there. Make sure you stay there. And the classic example of this, like the aircraft, comes in Acts 27. Acts 27. And this is the famous story of the shipwreck. So Acts uh, 27, uh, there's a shipwreck. Uh, verse 21. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. 
then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve. Incidentally, isn't that a wonderful description of a Christian? Whom I am uh, and whom I serve. I, I belong to him. Uh, do not be afraid. Uh, last night, an angel of, uh, of, of, of the God whose I am, I belong to him and whom I serve, beside, stood beside me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. So the promise, absolutely safe. But it doesn't end there. Look on to verse 30. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Now do you see how they were kept safe? They were kept safe both by the promise and not one will perish, and by the warnings. If they let down the, the, these boats, then the, 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 their, their lives will be lost. And that, I think, is the way of looking at this passage in Hebrews. The way God keeps us is by the promises, which are absolutely firm. Him that comes to me, I will never, no, never cast out. The gifts and call of God are irrevocable. Once saved, always saved. But lest there be people who are presumptuous, then there are these warnings. If you leave the ship, you'll cause damage and, uh, and you will die. If you jump out of the aircraft, you'll die. And so it addresses two sorts of people. To those who are, uh, haven't got assurance, the glorious promises, you are absolutely safe. But for those who are presumptuous, and it could be that the Hebrews were a bit like this, and beginning to be sluggish, then there are the warnings. But even in the warnings, there is encouragement. So, back to Hebrews 6. Uh, look, uh, there's a danger. Verse 8, the land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burnt. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. So the author gives real warnings to uh, the readers, but also encouragement. And that is the way we are kept. So I don't know what your situation is. I haven't got x-ray eyes. If you're unsure, well, any man who's in Christ is absolutely safe. Uh, and you could be sure of that. The person who's becoming sluggish, uh, not wanting to go to sermons, uh, not wanting to come to Burning Man, not reading serious Christian books, and is letting things drift, still immature, spiritual uh, dwarf, uh, warnings in order to spur us on. And the way uh, for that to go on to maturity is to recognize that I've got, still got a long way to go, and if Paul was able to say that about himself, as he does in Philippians 3, 
then how much more the rest of us? I've got a long way to go. And then to howl for food, to be like Alan Stibbs, uh, to, to want to go to that Bible study, to want to read Christian books, and then to go on from there. There was somebody who went to a sermon rather like this and was asked how he felt afterwards. And he said, um, I'm still confused, but at a deeper level. Uh, and that may well be um, how some of you feel now. Now, do I pray or do we have questions? What happens now, John? Okay, right. Let us pray. Father, we want to uh, thank you very much for the faithfulness of your word. And we thank you for the sure and certain promises that those who have truly turned to Christ are absolutely safe forever. And we praise you for that assurance that you want your children to know. But we thank you too, Father, that you're not content with people who are sluggish, who stopped growing, and that therefore there are these uh, warnings. And we pray that we will take them seriously and that we will be those who run the race set before us and that we finish the course. We pray that it will never be said of us that we are sluggish and uh, slow to learn. Pray that we'll be those who howl for food and go on to maturity. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Regulars at Burning Man will know we've now got 45 minutes or so to discuss... 45 chat. minutes? 